Hello, you're listening to Craig Walker's Future Of podcast, where we bring together conversations with thought leaders from across the world to unpack what's next in the design of products, services, and experiences. I'm Jeremy Walker, director and co-founder of Craig Walker, a design and research agency with a mission to design the greatest positive impact for the greatest number of people. And for this series, Peter Farrago, a lead designer at Craig Walker, explores the future of care. In this episode, she has a conversation with Pete Overy, co-founder and managing director of Agency in Singapore. Agency are a strategic design company whose mission is enabling organizations to make brave leaps towards the future using human-centered tools and methods. Prior to co-founding Agency, Pete was the managing director of the world-renowned design company IDEO for nearly a decade. Today, we hear why it's an imperative that healthcare works with designers, two fields that have traditionally seemed very far apart. He also shares his experience around how making incremental changes in this space can have significant positive impacts for staff and patients, and how he approaches the problem of consultant fatigue in the care industry. How do you think it differs being a designer in the sector of care to other areas that you might be designing for and by that I kind of mean thinking about that idea of creative risk managing that tension between innovation and what could be the high stakes consequence of a failure of an idea I'll start with a healthcare bit of it right so I I genuinely see the role of design in domains like healthcare as an imperative so the medical system right it is generally excellent and in Singapore it's particularly excellent it's one of the best in the world Actually, is the best in the world if you for certain pediatrics and certain other aspects. Here. But the role of service in the delivery of that experience is where the designer's role is most important. And so, creating that orchestration of a process of that value with the least disruption and the most compassion are the goals as a designer. So, I don't see that as being risky. It is not risk. It is just logical. Right. So in some form, it is not a new, new thing. You're not changing it so fundamentally. It's not evolutionary innovation or revolutionary innovation. You are effectively looking at a customer journey and you're seeing and diagnosing the gaps. You are unlocking the staff's journey and seeing the inefficiencies in it that they're asked to do and the pain that they have and trying to help them have a easier life every day. So again, that they can create more time back to them. And then the question is, what are you going to do with it? Does it allow you to be more compassionate, spend more time with the people you want to spend time with? So those things become the most important part of this. Working with staff to unlock efficiencies in their lives. Um, And the important part of that, I think, in our experience has been, it creates advocacy in the change that needs to happen. The bigger part of the issue as a designer in this level of care is that I don't believe it's about the high stakes consequences of failure, right? Because if you pay attention to the fact that if you spend a week with a set of nurses, for instance, you'll find the ton of efficiencies like so painful, it's ridiculous. And why is it like that? You ask the question, why are you doing it this way? Which is what we do. Now, some are protocols to do in medicine, which I can't touch they're important and others are things that have just been made up generally because back in the day 
it was an analog. I needed to put information. I had it written down on something. And then, I, and then what they did is they converted and digitized that into systems. And those systems now are sadly antiquated and not helping them. And um, what's happened over time is like a patchwork of additional service requests means that now they log into four different systems, one to order the drugs, one to check the admission, one to check who, where the staff are, one to do, like, it's like, huh? Wow. So suddenly it's like being a pilot with four planes you're running at the same time. That's kind of crazy, right? So when you do that, we just have to look at that for more than 10 minutes. And you're like, what on earth and how, why have we done that? And then you go, okay, empathy for the large institutions that make those things there's a sunk cost right i spent however many millions building a, a crm on top of a on top of a another administrative tool set and so to change that and bin it and start again it's not really on the radar right because the cost of that is just too high so then the consequence of that is these patchwork systems of, of it that then drive the way in which the staff have to behave that then drive the service experience. So then our role is to try and find the, the pieces that you can change or the, the things with them that will allow them to become advocates of some level of change that then drives a very different outcome. Because once you do that, then when you give them insights into what's really happening to the patient, they're like, you know what, I really care and I want to change it, and they have the capacity to do so. So that's a really important part of designer and care role you have to find the space and time because we neglect right i've seen too many design tools and i was part of it in the beginning i'm so good i make it out to seem like i'm no or it's not true the, the challenge of understanding their context so the easiest way to do that is going in an a and e as a designer and just watch from like eight o'clock in the morning till about eight o'clock at night yeah. and my god that they work their asses off like, and, and a space that doesn't fit the volume of people who come in. And so at some point it becomes this, this cacophony of bodies and, and, and I don't mean dead, I mean as in just people lying on gurneys or people who need to be monitored and so on and so forth and, and people squeezing in between, getting people to sign consent, you know, doing all sorts of stuff, right? It's insane. Mm. But... As a condition, right, you just realize that that's a very hard thing to design for when you do not know the volume and you do not know the condition. It's a microcosm story of what happens across the healthcare system on a daily basis, right? There are varying degrees of this, varying degrees of emotional challenge, like, you know, people die or people are diagnosed with serious conditions and then they have really hard times recognizing it. So on a daily basis, these guys who deliver these services go through the most insane and intense roller coaster ride. And how on earth do you support that? So our role or my role often is to make sure that the context is really deeply understood, um, to understand who's made the decisions and why they made them that way and not to judge them whether they're good or bad but to understand why, whether or not we should or should not change those things. Well, they've already tried it and they feel like you're not listening to them at all. It feels like a big part of working in the care sector is that giving the projects enough time to, so that you can build trust and have appropriate empathy for people. So the other side of that is we have to have empathy for some level of trauma 
if you are uh, led by, and many people are who enter healthcare or those sorts of care systems, they're led by a passion, a drive, a belief that they fundamentally care and they enter a thing that doesn't feel like it does. And if you do that every day on a daily basis, over and over and over and over and over again, you have some level of trauma yourself. So as a designer, when we enter it, and there are very lovely people who are incredibly well-intentioned, you also have to pay attention to the fact that it's like uh, going to Everest and not having enough air, right? They haven't got enough air. And so we come in all like, yeah, let's do this, let's do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. You, you have to decompression and have to come down from the pinnacle to some level of, of time and space and readjust and decompress. Mm. And then you can take them back up again. I think that's a, it's a good metaphor for just recognizing where they're at. And it's also they're taking time out. So we turn up, we do these things where we're like, oh, we're going to do a morning or a whole day workshop, or a whole day in their world is, is you know, not a lifetime, but it's a very large amount of time mm. that we're removing from their ability to do the work that they need to do, um, which is already compounded by a lack of staff, a lack of time, a lack of resource, a lack of money, you know, all of those things. So being conscious of the kind of crunch on people who work in the care sector is really important to doing the work well. In many other areas of work that we do that are non-care related, actually, we've driven the same sort of behavior. If you, if you, if you first create advocacy of the people you're about to work with, because they're the subject matter experts, we're just catalysts. We bring a new lens to the world, right? And then we give them tools and catalyze and create actionable stuff. And we do that really well, because that's what designers do very well. But... If you drive too fast, too soon, with too much optimism, which we are inherently have an abundance, then you will find that it doesn't fall on deaf ears. It just, people are like, huh? It's, it's like they get whiplash, you know, a dissonance between what feels like it, it's plausible and possible to, 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 you can inspire them. But then if you do not give them the tools to speed up, then you're in trouble. So, my my experience has been actually we slow down, we take more time, we become more intentional, we understand more about the given context. Thinking about the ongoing work that you and agency have been doing within the care sector, are there shifts you've noticed from when you started eight years ago to now? The definite shift is... When I started, they had consultant fatigue. It is now um, like organ rejection, right? So, so we have to work very hard with any new, new set of people that we're meeting for them to have trust in us. So it's like, a, it's like an odd meme in a sense that, you know, we're designing them to have this new experience and, and interaction with patients and, and, and so on and so forth. And actually, we have to do the same thing with them. So that's a shift where the unfortunate thing is everybody is aware of the use of design as a, as a supporting tool to, to amplify or improve the experience or innovate in some way. It also comes with the curse that seemingly they've had 
an abundance of people roll through their world that say the same thing. And and I, I think that we have unintentionally, yeah, not paid enough attention to, to the thing that when I described it earlier about just observe the A&E and how, how busy it gets, it is almost impossible to design something that changes that, that does not impact some other part of the system. It will break something else. So our unintended consequence of like, and also the general inability for us to have access to the whole, then we unintentionally upset someone somewhere. So what's happened over time is that that, that curse, I think, then means that we just have to work incredibly harder to, to have trust and, and relationships that drive the thing that needs to happen to be able to support this. This is not an easy domain to design in. What have you learned about designing care for specific people, communities, and cultural groups? What, what can designers think through or how can designers think through problems at, at different levels? The most interesting part of healthcare, having got into that sort of work, was in any other form of, of um design work that we do for private sector clients, there's always a target audience. And there's a target audience that's a very specific thing that we're targeting. And that gets more important if you're helping a startup as well, right? We are only going to serve these types of people with these types of needs with this type of answer. The challenge for healthcare is like, it's for everyone. And so you have this really interesting tension between the population health, which is important to any country or any city to support its people and, 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 and do right by it and give it the best cover and give it the best support. And yet at the same time, what that does is it creates a one-size-fits-all answer that doesn't actually fit all, at all. So the way we started to describe it internally as a team was if you were thinking about launching your you've launched your product in singapore maybe malaysia and now you're saying i want to launch it in vietnam or the philippines or even china we would have to go to those countries and we would do some research to understand whether or not the way we're describing the product the features that we say are important are indeed resonant or useful or perceived in the same way in that culture and country and in that work what we've been able to find is uh, there are indeed very important competencies that we need to pay attention to what are some other big longer term trends that you're seeing in the care sector in singapore and what is driving the change the big one is technological both the good and the bad of it right so there is a shift towards trying to use more technology to nudge us and support us. We're reaching some sort of saturation point on that, that is beginning to recognize that that's not the answer, not, not entirety. Do you think that tech is going to be able to help people, you know, make better decisions or, or have access to more information? When the interface is a bit easier to use, we're still at the point where this, this whole using prompts as a way to unlock the information from AI. It's great if you're able to navigate that stuff, mm. but the majority, again, of the human race will not be. So we need to create the, the UI. The UI needs to be 
easy to use. If I ask a question, then it turns into a prompt on the back end, and then that prompt turns back something like that. That bit, not ready yet. Yeah. Not quite. And so until we get to that point, then you can you can see the masses being able to do this, right? Speaking something and it returns something back. It's not far off. I don't think it's far off in the future, but it's coming. But you still need to know what to do with it. So to me, this is still like I still need rituals. I need I need understanding. I need like it's not gonna come from that's not gonna come from AI. Mm. Not entirely. So it needs to be a concerted, orchestrated thing around how you educate, how you engage, how we know what sort of motivation you are. But Pete, based on your experience, what are you starting to see as the future of care in your world? So aging population, huge inflation increases in the cost of care and statistics that show more and more people developing chronic diseases mean in, in places like Singapore, even in Britain, actually, uh, even in Australia, the concern about the tsunami of people who are going to need more care uh, across their everyday lives than ever before. So it just drives this belief in me that when I said earlier about it's an imperative that design plays a role in the pieces of the experience that can be changed, it's fundamental, right? It's imperative. When you look to the future, though, what we do see is that the, the role of the primary care doctor being a filter for us to navigate various different aspects of, of care, whether that's to do with your own mental health, whether that's to do with your bodily health, whether that's checkups that you should have more regularly that are helping you understand your, your weight, your blood sugars, your, your liver, whatever it is that we, you know, there are certain things we should be testing more of in some form. I can see that being more prolific because of the data and the, the unlock of this kind of quantitative self structural stuff. It's going to be much easier to access that. I mean, I, I, I remember visiting a place called Forward in the US that was a primary care offering in San Francisco. And it's like walking into a Star Trek bridge, right? There's this huge screen and you're there and you're not there just to see a, a GP in the way that you do uh, here for cough cold. You're going to them because on a regular basis, like, okay, how are you doing? What are your goals? And it's tied to these medical indicators. So if you were trying to drink less and your liver enzymes show that you have been on the, on the, on the booze, then the doctor's like, what have you been doing? Your liver enzymes are up. And they're like, oh, yeah, I went out three nights in a row and da, da, da. So there's this bunch of stuff that helps you navigate and see what that's doing to your body. Mm. And, then it, and then there's a conversation about your long-term and medium-term and short-term goals. Now, it was very medically oriented, but I think the important part of the future of healthcare is probably that. That's what I mean by these tool sets, right? This idea that um, the more you can have a conversation about what's actually going on inside the body, uh, which is not, no different from... So, interestingly, therapy is more like how I'm feeling and, and, and you know who I am and what I want and conversations about that to kind of de deconstruct and... And, and think about stuff in a different lens. Then we also we we and we need to amplify that into the human consciousness. That's an important tool thing that you should do. At the same time, there is a conversation we should have with with whether it's an AI or a doctor or whatever it becomes that is about my own bodily functions and what's happening to it and the things that I when I do that I do to it and what, how it impacts me. 
The other thing I saw was the aura ring, right, which tells people how much sleep they got, your heart rate. So there's these things that are indicators of where this is heading. And at some point, the only challenge with that is what happens to all that data. Where does it go? Who owns it? And is anyone going to use it badly? So there might be some some dystopian version of the world that means, you know, governments get to use it for the worst of things or insurers do. But I'm trying to remain optimistic. That actually, I think this is a really important part of the, the way in which my children will live. It will just provide them with different information that, that I don't, I never had. It feels like we have, we can instigate a different trajectory for themselves because they'll just know more about themselves and and if you're smarter about that you can use that data to your to your advantage okay so what thinking about that kind of like people not understanding what to do with the masses of information or data that they they now potentially have access to in the future what product services or experiences do you think need to be designed to, to manage that information Okay, so first of all, in the first instance, the, the rituals of um, activities are still most important. So there is a cause and effect, right? What you're seeing is a you, – you just need to understand that this particular thing has this particular outcome. So I don't think you need all the data. I think what you do need is a orchestrated – what want a better phrase dashboard which sounds rubbish because that would just annoy everyone if you gave them a dashboard however what i mean is it's a highlighted set of particular pieces of information that support you better making certain decisions you can start to see the the technology if connected to again a, an experience that was about your own information i'm hungry i ate this 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 in the last few days what the healthy choice is based on the, 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 the thing I've just done and the thing I want to do. And so if you, if you can have prompts, if you can have a co-pilot with you that helps to support that, um, nudges that help you understand the things you could do or even help you with the, what sort of food you want today, that's going to be interesting. So there is some sort of concierge co-pilot potential because the only danger with this stuff is it becomes, do you have to think about it anymore or it just does it for you? That's the thing. And who's making this, those decisions? Well, yeah. So there's a bunch of the, there's a bunch of these pieces that become complicated. But um, I think for now, the idea of the fact that we are producing a bunch of data, that we can use that data to make smart decisions is a positive thing. Yeah. Where we, where we end up ultimately, we just have to pay attention to how far we want to take it, right? If we look at the not-so-distant not future, say in 10 years, can you paint a picture of your hopes for the care industry? I hope that what happens is the idea of a hospital becomes the distributed centre of a, what I'm going to call town planning. So if I think about the future of, of how we live, the hospital is a, is a centralized place where catastrophic events happen or diseases that occur that are really bad, right? Then if you think about the primary care la layer and you think about community care, i.e. more distributed networks of people supporting one another or knowing that they need support, 
that's an important factor. The other thing I'd love to see is the technology enabling those who work in those environments to have more free time to do the things that I think are the compassion and the stuff that actually drives them to drive what I'll call care in terms of reciprocal important positive impact on a person as they go through different aspects of their lives some of which are require medical attention some of which require more supportive therapeutic attention and some are things that they can do for themselves but get recognized in some way that they're doing them that's important because even for self-care is it important that there is some compounding effect or knowing what it's doing to you over a period of time maybe that would be nice you know, even meditation is meant to improve the plasticity of the brain in certain areas. It changes the shape of your brain. Even knowing that it's doing that might be nice mm-hmm. to know. Actually, I am doing something that doesn't feel like it's changing, but it's improving me in some way or another, right? That, that's mm. positive reinforcement of some description. The use of technology in a way that supports those things would be a wonderful uh, future state in the next 10 years because I don't think that's very far away. I think it's, I think it's very plausible. The one thing that's stopping us is the the potential business models of such things. But um, I think those things can be surmounted. Thank you, Pete, so much for your time today. This has been super interesting and you've just given us a lot of food for thought. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and thank you for having me. I hope this helps others who are out there doing this work as well. And and there is the fight the good fight because it's not easy, but it does have significant impact on people's everyday lives. So... It's important enough to do. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of this conversation. It's been a fascinating insight into how design can have a positive influence in healthcare, about a potential future in which a distributed healthcare system is the norm, and where your relationship with a GP is centered on proactively managing your health rather than reacting to problems as they come up. We hope we've left you with something to think about in the context of the products, services, or experiences you're designing. And a big thank you to our guest, Pete Overy, for joining Peter Frago in conversation with production and editing by Tom Hogan. The Future Of podcast was brought to you by Craig Walker, a global design and research agency that works with the world's leading organizations. Find out more about the work we do at craigwalker.com.au slash journal.